us to drain every drop of truth we can from these six or so verses. Holy Spirit of God, illumine us, enlighten our hearts, shine a bright light on this page so that we can understand what you've given us in this book. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is in the 11th chapter of Genesis, verses 27 through 32. So let us stand for the reading of the Word of God. Genesis 11, uh, let's start with verse 26 and go through 32. And Terah lived 70 years and became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the records of the generations of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his birth, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. The name of Nahor's wife was Milcah the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went out together from Ur of the Chaldees in order to enter the land of Canaan, and they went as far as Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. You may be seated. Did you get a lot out of that passage? We are now with these verses at the central part of the book of Genesis. You know, Genesis is divided into sections called Toledoths, and that word means a record of the outcome of some and such and such a person's life. We've already read about the outcome of Noah's life, the outcome of Adam's life. Well, now we come to a section that is around 10 chapters long. And it is the record of the outcome of Terah's life. But it's not about Terah. Nobody knows about Terah. In this little passage it says Terah uh, gave birth to some people and they moved to such and such a place. That's it. You never hear from him anymore. So you read through these 10 or so chapters and the person you read about the most is Abraham, right? No. He's one of the star actors in this cast. Uh, And why do they say outcome of Terah's life? Because Abraham was the outcome of Terah's life. Abraham was, was the greatest gift that Terah and his wife gave to the world. But even though we read a great deal about Abraham throughout this whole section, he's still not the main actor. And we'll come back to that in a minute. This uh, section, chapter 12 through about chapter 25, can be divided in like this. There is an introduction, and the introduction to this record is found in the verses we read this morning. The main characters of the cast are presented to us there. Abraham, his wife Sarah, and, and, and we're told certain things that will come back in the future. Abraham and his wife Sarah, who was barren, keep act. And then uh, uh, his brother Nahor 
and Haran, Nahor was the uh, father of Lot, Abraham's nephew. He's going to play a key role. And then there is Nahor, Haran, and Nahor, who is the father of Rebekah, who married Abraham's grandson. Grandson. So, all the main characters are introduced here in this uh, these few verses, but the main character is not introduced. And the main character of this Toledoth of Terah is none other than Jesus. I don't say that in any kind of metaphorical way. I don't mean to say that in any kind of ultra-spiritual way. The main character was Jesus. I want you to look with me at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We studied this book a few months ago. But let's see what Jesus and the Pharisees are talking about. He said in verse, uh, in chapter 8, uh, yeah, chapter 8, we'll start with verse 54. Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. Of whom you say he is our God. And you have not come to know him. He's talking to the religious leaders. You have not come to know him. But I know him. And if I say. That I do not know him. I shall be a liar like you. <laughs> but I do know him. And keep his word. Your father. Abraham. Rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Jesus saying there, Abraham was a Christian, in the fullest sense of the word. And though he lived thousands of years before the New Testament was written, and the life of Jesus on earth, he knew my day. He saw me by faith. And we had interactions together, and he knew my promises. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You're not yet 50 years old. And how have you seen the son of Abraham? How have you seen Abraham? Well, it's interesting why they said you're not even 50 years old. He, wasn't, he was just 30, in the early 30s. Maybe that's telling us something about tired and weary. He looked. You're not even 50 years old. How can you say you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So there's the, there is the gist of the focus of this chap, of this section that we read. <coughs> Jesus said, uh, Abraham saw me. Abraham faith, had faith in me. In fact, before Abraham was even born, I am. You remember what those two words mean? Those two words, I am, when written emphatically, which these are, uh, are the definition of the word Jehovah. So Jesus didn't simply say, before Abraham was born, I was. He says, before Abraham was born, I am God from all eternity. I'm not just 50 years old. I am from all eternity. So there in those verses, we see Jesus telling us what this section's about. It's about himself and what he promised Abraham and what he did for Abraham. And uh, in this uh, section, 
we see eternal, fundamental, universal principles that never change and that are operative in the Christian church throughout all eternity. That's why these chapters are so important. Universal principles that are operative in the life of the church from here throughout all eternity. And they're all emphasized in the gospel in the New Testament. What are those eternal principles? The basis of salvation is God's sovereign grace. The instrument through which salvation is received is by faith alone. And the purpose of God's promises to us is that we might obey Him and live faithfully for Him. What's interesting about this Toledoth it's comprised, as I said, of an introduction. And then in chapter 12 through 14, we see some tests of Abraham's faith concerning a promise God gave him about the land. In, verse, in chapter 15 through chapter 21, we see God testing Abraham's faith concerning a promise that he made to him about a seed that would come forth for him. And then in chapter 22 through chapter 25, we see Abraham's faith being tested with reference to another promise that God gave him about a rich and glorious future that he and his descendants should have. So you could name this whole 10 chapters tests of life, tests of faith. Over and over and over again, God puts Abraham through it. Serious test that I would never want to have to face ever in my life. Some of them he failed. Some of the tests he passed. But why does God test people severely? I mean, some of these are extremely severe. Here God said to Abraham and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son, and he's going to be the great, great, great granddaddy of Jesus, Isaac. Then God turns right around to Abraham and says, I want you to go sacrifice your son upon a mountain. You talk about severity, that's a severe test of faith. So what is the purpose of all these tests? Not to uh, break down Abraham, not to weaken him, but to strengthen his faith. The purpose of tests in our lives is to strengthen our faith in Almighty God, not to weaken us. And here in this section, all of Abraham's life is simply a growth in faith developed by delayed fulfillment of divine promise. I read that slowly so you could get it down. All of Abraham's life is a growth in faith developed in delayed fulfillment of divine promise. Every time God tests Abraham, he puts off fulfilling a promise he made to him. <clears throat> that's a powerful way to build up your faith. But that's, what, uh, that's the way God did it. He'd make a promise. Then he'd hold off fulfilling that promise and put Abraham through a series of tests. Uh, right off the bat, he promises Adam, I'll steal my thunder from next week. Right off the bat, he promises Abraham that he's going to have a land where he and his descendants can build a godly civilization down through many generations. Uh, it's got enemies in it. It's full of Canaanites. So what did Abraham do? Fled to Egypt. Maybe I'll be safer than in Egypt. Maybe God can work out something here. So he failed that test. And uh, so you read this. Sometimes read chapter 11 through chapter 25. See if you can spot all the tests that God gave him. And see if you can figure out whether he 
failed or not. In fact, one of the first things we learn about Abraham as he goes to Egypt uh, to escape the, the Canaanites, even though God made him a promise that that land was his, he starts to think, well, now Sarah is beautiful. My wife is beautiful. And Pharaohs like beautiful women. And Pharaohs get whatever they want. So he came up with the plan. He said, they'll want you. Pharaoh will want you. And he'll kill me so he can have you. So I'm going to tell Pharaoh I'm your brother. You're my sister. And you're not my wife. And that rascal tried to save his own hide by putting his life, wife's purity at risk. Big F on that test. Now, what's the purpose of all these tests? This is one of the most important things I can tell you. One of the, most, uh, the purpose of these tests is to teach us who believe in Christ to focus on the giver, not the gift. God promised a lot of things to Abraham. But he wanted Abraham not only to be thankful for the gifts, but to have his eyes focused on the giver more than the gifts. To focus on the one that made the promise rather than the promises. Because... If you love God because of his gifts, because of what you can get out of him, you're in a terribly weak position. If the only reason that you believe in God is to keep from going to hell when you die, you will go to hell when you die. Because God wants us to love him, not just because of what he can give us, but because of who he is. If you were to ask Abraham at the conclusion of all these tests, why do you love God, Abraham? Because he's God. Whatever else I get is second. I love him because I love who he is. And that's one of the most important lessons that we can learn from this Toledoth. Be thankful for the gifts. Focus more on the giver. Don't just love God because of what you can get out of him. Well, God makes me feel better and he heals me, so I think I'm going to love him. Love him for what you get out of him. Well, I'm going to love God so I won't go to hell when I die. Love him so you can get something out of him. So these are hard trials and hard lessons that Abraham had to learn. Jesus brought this up, by the way. We talked about this, but when we studied John, Jesus talked about this very principle. Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. To me, this is one of the most solemn Passages in all the Bible. And it says in verse 23, 24, and 25, John 2. Now when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many, M-A-N-Y, many believed in his name Beholding his signs, which he was doing. Now, today's television evangelists would go crazy. I mean, there would be thousands. If you had, they had thousands of people following them around, performing miracles in their presence. I mean, you'd think I am as successful a television evangelist as anybody wants. So Jesus was preaching and he, he was performing signs, which is John's word for miracle. He was performing miracles 
healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, all these various things. And the Jews said, this is the man we want. After all, we want to attack Rome. We want to bring down the Roman Empire. So if we could get Jesus to be our commander, we wouldn't have to worry about getting wounded. He'd heal us. We wouldn't have to worry about being killed. He'd raise us from the dead. We wouldn't have to worry about food. He'd miraculously give us bread and fish. We could surprise the enemy by coming up on his blind side. Instead of building a bridge, we can just walk across the water. This is the man we want. So these many people, not just a few, not a handful, but many people believed in his name. You know another verse where that is found? As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even to those that believe in his name. Many believed in his name. Verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus said, they were believing in me. I was not believing in them. They were believing in my name. I did not accept them. Why? Well, why were they believing? Verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding his signs, which he was doing, watching what Jesus was doing. Boy, what can we get out of him? And so Jesus said in so many words, Forget it. You believe in my name. I am not going to entrust myself to you. Because you're believing in me for selfish motives. It's not me you want. It's the things that I can give you. So I am not going to entrust myself to you. Now, nobody would ever think of Jesus doing something like that, you know. But that's what this whole section of Abraham is about. You love God and believe in him, believe in his name, because of what he can do for you. And that's not true faith at all. True faith wants God more than his gifts. True faith wants his gifts. True faith wants the salvation he can give. But true faith wants salvation. I wants God more. Let me give you a quote by Augustine. Lived in the 5th century. This is a great quote. I'm going to read it slowly so you can write it down. Memorize it. Here's what he said. Let God... Be all in all to you. For in him is the entirety of all you love. That's true faith talking. Let me read it again. Let God be all in all to you. For in him is the entirety of all you love. So let me ask you, if somebody were to ask you, why do you love Jesus? What's the main reason you love Jesus? What do you want most of all with reference to Jesus? What would you say? I want him to save me from hell. I want him to forgive me of my sins. I want him to give me a new heart. I want him to change me. What Jesus is saying to you, I want you to want me more than anything I can give you. 
That's the heart of true faith. Now, if we're going to look at tests that God has given Jesus, uh, given Abraham, uh, tests of his faith, we need to see what the nature of Abraham's faith was before we can understand the tests that God's given him. And there is a whole chapter in the Bible that describes the character of Abraham's faith. And it's in the New Testament. I always felt, uh, thought that was humorous. God has a sense of humor. A lot of Christians today say, well, we're not under the Old Testament. Uh, we're under the New Testament. So the New Te- Old Testament's not for us. And then God chooses as the model of faith a man out of the Old Testament. You want to know what it believes in me? Look at Abraham. So turn to the fourth chapter of Romans. And let's see what Abraham's faith looked like. Let me read these verses and then break them down. Chapter 4, verses 1, 2, and 3. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but what as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. So what's the nature of Abraham's faith? He trusted in Christ alone and not in anything he did or merited. Abraham believed in the law of God. He believed God was the lawgiver. There's a great verse we'll look at in Genesis where God, where it says that Abraham obeyed the statutes and, and the laws and the commandments of Almighty God. But Abraham didn't think he was any value. He didn't think he was in any worth. He believed in God because he loved God and not because he wanted to earn this thing. Because if he just earned salvation and worked hard to merit salvation, salvation would not be a gift. It would be a wage. For the wages of sin is death, and the wages of faith is salvation. There wouldn't be any salvation. Faith earns nothing. Faith merits nothing. Abraham, as great as he was, had nothing to boast about. He risked his wife's life to save his own hide. Is that a righteous act? Abraham was a sinner. And he trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Turn, keep your finger there in Galatians 4, and, uh, Romans 4, and turn to Galatians 3. Galatians. Chapter 3. And let's start with verse 6. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore be sure it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations shall be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith in Christ are blessed with Abraham the believer. So when people say in the Old Testament they were saved by works, the New Testament they were saved by faith, has never read the third chapter of Galatians. Abraham was saved exactly the same way we are. He rested in Jesus Christ alone without the works of the law and God credited that to him as a, a, in forgiveness and in adoption into God's family. 
That's what justification is. In justification, God declares a person righteous and forgiven and adopted into God's family the moment that person trusts in Christ alone for salvation and not one second before. Now, be careful. There's a whole new theological movement for the past three or four years that talks about uh, faith as the basis of salvation. Faith in Christ alone is the basis of salvation. True or false? It couldn't be any more false. Faith is the basis of nothing. Faith is simply the open, outstretched, crippled, empty hand that receives whatever God puts in it. We're saved through faith as an instrument. But the basis of our salvation is Christ alone and not our faith. So be careful with prepositions. And so what was the nature of character of, of Abraham's faith? The same as yours. Same as yours and mine and Paul. He's our father in the faith. We're one with him, Abraham the believer, who believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So the first thing to understand about Abraham's faith, we're talking about a faith that's just like yours. His faith was no different than your faith if your faith is real. And if your faith is not like Abraham's faith, you're lost. You're still in your sins. The only faith that saves is a faith like Abraham's. And Abraham's faith could not boast in a thing. There's nothing he could take pride in to make points with the living God. He realized he was nothing but a sinner and God reached down in sovereign grace and saved him. And he didn't even grab hold of God's hand. God grabbed hold of his hand. And saved him. Now what else does this text say about his faith? Look down at verse 13. Uh, at Romans 4, 13. Let's read a few verses. Through 21. For the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he would be heir of the world. Boy, is that full of truth was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is fulfilled. For the law brings about wrath. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, that is the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God who gives life to the dead, and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, in order that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your seed be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised he was able to perform. What a description. Only saving faith can do things like that. Notice that Abraham's faith 
focused on three perfections in God. Now, he loved all the perfections in God, but there were particularly three per perfections in God that his faith focused on. Get this. This is what true faith does. If you look up there in verse uh, 13 through 17, up around there somewhere, it says uh, that faith, uh, verse 16, for this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace, in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 18. In hope against hope, he believed, in order that he might become father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Or particularly verse 17. As it is written, the father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Three perfections in God. Write these down. May your faith focus on them, all the perfections of God. Love, uh, grace, all of you love. But these three, Abraham was enamored with. And he kept focusing on them. Omnipotence, faithfulness, and sovereignty. He said, God made a promise to me. And I know he's going to keep that promise no matter what I'm like, no matter what I do, no matter what the future holds. God's going to be faithful. My standing with him does not depend upon how perfect my faithfulness is to him, but on his perfect faithfulness to his promise. So Abraham, throughout this chapter, it keeps going back to the promises of the Old Testament. He said, when God made those promises to me, he was preaching the gospel to me. See it up there in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham or to his seed that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Verse, uh, so, so Abraham saw these covenant promises as the gospel. And he knew God was going to be faithful to him in spite of the facts. You got that? He believed God in spite of the facts. In spite of what he saw. Because everything Abraham saw was contrary to the promise. What did he see? What are the facts? Abraham was a shriveled up old 100 year man, 100 year old man. What was Sarah? A shriveled up old 100 year woman. And God told Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a baby. The facts said, no, you're not. In spite of everything Abraham saw, he believed. In spite of everything he saw. Because everything was contrary to the promise. And so we learned that at Abraham's faith, he didn't walk by sight, he walked by faith. He did not work or walk in the light of what he saw but in the light of the promise of God. Now that's important for us. So we say God's going to give the church a future of thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions of people who love Jesus. Their number's going to be greater than the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. And we're looking at how many millions of people are there in the United States that are rebels against him. The facts go against the promise. And if you walk by what you see, you would never believe. I was asked one time, how can you believe, be so optimistic about the future and so optimistic about the church of God in the light of what you read in the newspapers? 
And I said, I don't get my doctrine out of the newspapers. That we're to walk by faith in Christ and not by what we see in spite of the facts. Though everything around us might say this is not going to happen. Abraham believed. And he believed this promise on the sheer word of God. Now what I mean by that is he didn't ask for proof. Did you notice that? God said you're going to have an innumerable uh, host of people that are going to be your sons and daughters. I'm going to give you a land where all these people can live. And through your seed, every family on the face of this earth is going to be blessed. Prove it. Give me something to rest my faith on because those are pretty big promises. He didn't say it. He simply trusted God's word. You know, there's t- in, the, in, the, in the Bible, there's two translations of the phrase, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. One phrase says, Abraham believed in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He believed in God's faithfulness that God would be true. The second, Abraham believed God. Abraham believed in God, but the second time it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Because he believed in this faithful God, he didn't need any proof beyond his word. He believed these stunning promises of God on the basis of God's word and not on anything in him at all. His faith was unwavering. It never fluctuated. And throughout his life, he kept his focus on the glory of God. He knew that his faith if it pleased God, would always have to be for God's glory. And God's, Abraham's faith enabled him to act on what he believed. God said, Abraham, you and Sarah are going to have a baby. Okay. So he acted by faith. And he found out that faith without works is dead. He found out that the law of God does not add to our salvation. It doesn't, uh, we don't depend upon the law to save us, but we do depend upon God's revealed word to guide our faith in acting the way God would have us, have us act. So everything we've ever learned about faith is, about faith is here. Abraham focused on God's faithfulness. He focused on God's omnipotence. How did he say it? He said uh, that God would do what he promised and bring into being that which does not exist and the God in whom I believe gives life to the dead. He's almighty. He can raise a dead man to life and he can also bring into existence something that's not in existence yet simply by speaking. So he focused on the omnipotence of God. The God in whom I believe can do anything and will do whatever he pleases. And he's sovereign. He brings into existence whatever he brings into existence without asking anybody's approval. So like a good Calvinist, he loved the sovereignty of God. And he loved the omnipotence of God. And he loved the faithfulness of God. And so he believed in God's word and nothing else, asking for no proof in spite of everything he saw, pointing to the contrary. So I'd say Abraham was a Christian. And I would say that if your faith is not like Abraham's, you're not a Christian. So you better go back and read chapter 4 again. 
and make sure that your faith looks like Abraham's faith. Even in the face of the assaults of unbelief and fear, Abraham still believed. He wasn't perfect, but he still believed. And he was certain about what God promised. Because he was certain about God, he had absolutely utmost persuasion that what God promised him is true. And that's what you and I as Christians need to hold on to in this wicked culture. He who has the Son has life. Do you doubt that? Do you dare apply that to yourself? Well, I hope it's true of me. I hope I have life. But that, that, that's a big thing to hope for. Or do you do like the Bible says and like Abraham was? Certain. He who has the Son has life. You have the Son by faith? Or then you have eternal life? And nobody can snatch, snatch you out of Christ's hand. It's as clear and as simple as that. That faith brings with it certainty that God's promise is true. So I'm looking forward to studying Abraham. We're going to learn a great deal about him. We're going to learn a great deal about ourselves through his failures and through his obedience. So make sure your faith is like Abraham's faith. And if it is, you're a child of Abraham. Why is that a big deal? Because all of the promises of the Old Testament are made to the children of Abraham. Not the Jews, but to the children of Abraham, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Go back to Galatians 3 with me. One last verse. Galatians chapter 3. It used to be when I was very, 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 very young that I'd read the Old Testament and I thought that the promises of the Old Testament were made for Jews. And I thought, oh, if I only had one drop of Abraham's blood in me, I would be so happy. But then I read the curses made to the children of Abraham. And I said, God, I'm thankful I don't have one drop of blood of Abraham in me. But the point is, doesn't have to do with blood. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now here's the verse. And if you belong to Christ, regardless of, eth of ethnic origin, whether you're Jew or Gentile, and if you belong to Christ, regardless of, of uh, ethnic origin, then you are Abraham's seed, Abraham's offspring, Abraham's children, and heirs according to the promise. So who gets in all the great gets in on all the great promises of the Old Testament? Only the seed of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham, who is an heir of all these rich promises, is comprised of those who belong to Jesus by faith, regardless of ethnic origin. But you know what? thrills the seed of Abraham more than that statement. More than saying we're heirs of all the promises of God. It's the statement beforehand that says we're all one in Christ Jesus. Because we, we'd rather have Jesus than anything else God offers. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. 
I'd rather have him than riches untold. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hands than to be the king of a vast domain and live in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. That's what true faith says. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for telling us about Abraham and his life and his faith. And we pray that we will learn a great deal about ourselves and about you from studying this great section. So, Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to evaluate ourselves and find out what the priority is in our lives. What would we rather have than silver or gold? For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Let us stand and confess our faith in the living God as we recite the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, it's good, and not just good, but important for us every now and then to take inventory of our own lives, or to put to use the word of Paul to examine ourselves to see if we're of the faith. There are so many different versions of what it means to believe around us today. Uh, you look at your own faith now for the next few seconds. Look at your own faith. Do I have the faith that we're talking about here? Or is that just for super spiritual people? Do I have the faith like Abraham had faith? Or am I more concerned on what other people believe about the legitimacy of my faith than comparing myself with the Word of God? Take inventory. Look at your own faith and say, does my faith look at anything like Abraham's? If it doesn't, cry out to God for faith. Because only God can give us that kind of faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you...